You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Hey, good morning, Hope Assembly. So glad to see you guys. So I switched it up a little bit this week, and uh, I'm going to preach this morning. Uh, thank you so much to Ryan for that wonderful time of worship, and Heather for uh, just saying hey to all of us, and we miss you. Uh, we know that being at home is not always fun, um, but we're thankful at the same time. Uh, we want to stay safe, but also be smart, and uh, just take this opportunity to uh, to teach with you guys today. So. Uh, once again, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Hope Assembly. And if you're scrolling through Facebook or joining us for the first time, thank you so much. Uh, we're Hope Assembly, and we're a church that uh, loves the community of Wilsonville. So we exist to uh, spread the good news about Jesus and continue to uh, love our community well. And so today, um, we've kind of been doing just some, some one-off sermon for the past few weeks. And today, I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about the temptation of Jesus. And we're also going to kind of work through what is humility um, what is pride and how do we wrestle through uh, kind of that great battle as believers, um, and especially in kind of the current time we're in um, and knowing that this uh, this problem or sort of this this battle has existed ever since the beginning of time. Um, and Jesus highlighted what that was uh, when he lived. And so, uh, again, we're going to look through the temptation and kind of see how we can live a life um, of what we're going to call downward mobility. So. What we're really going to do is kind of uh, tackle the idea of downward and upward mobility. And some of these these things, these differences um, have existed for a long time. So really the downward mobility is the self-emptying. It's the self-emptying of power, status, and security offered. Uh, and this is very countercultural, right? Um, everything in our current culture says to be powerful. Um, to have power, to gain power, to do what you can, get to the top. This is so different from what Jesus said about not being about power, not being about anything except the Father. To sort of be in the background, to kind of not even blend in, just sort of be, you know? And that's so different from what we what we see and experience. So is it possible to follow Christ while fulfilling the demands of the world? So is, is it possible? So can we listen to Christ while paying equal attention to others to carry Christ's cross while carrying others as well? Jesus certainly appears to draw a very sharp distinction. No one can be the slave of two masters. He insisted and he did not hesitate to confront us with the uncompromising demands of his call. It is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life. Such tough words to read. Um, but as well that are good words to read of to not conform to this world, to carry Christ's message and the cross of what we're doing as believers moving forward. And so Jesus sets this example of how he walks and how he lives and what he does. And again, the example is unique based on who he was, but also something that we can be encouraged by. But again, a little reminder, a crash course of this, it says, indeed, the one who was from the beginning was God, and he was God, and revealed himself as a small, helpless child, as a refugee in Egypt, as an obedient adolescence, an inconspicuous adult, as a disciple of a baptizer, as a preacher from Galilee, followed by some simple fishermen. 
as a man who ate with sinners and talked with strangers, as an outcast, a criminal, and a threat to his people. He moved from power to powerless, from greatness to smallness, from success to failure, from strength to weakness, from glory. The whole life of Jesus of Nazareth was a life in which all upward mobility was resisted. So imagine that, knowing he has all power and all right to be powerful. He can choose to do whatever he wants, but he laid it out. He emptied himself down so he could show that downward mobility. I imagine there's so many moments in Jesus' life when he was like, man, I could have the power. I could come rolling in in any way and have everyone bow down to me because I know I'm powerful. But he didn't choose that way. He didn't choose the way. He chose the path of humility and wrestled through it, but got to where he was through the path of downward mobility. In fact, some people wanted to make him king. They wanted him to show power. They wanted him to be in a throne. They wanted to share in his influence and sit on shrines with him. But he constantly said no. All these desires pointed again to downward mobility, the downward way. So that is what we're going to dig into today as God's people, and that's what we have. So let's jump in and go through the text. So again, we are in um, the temptation of Jesus, and we're going to see three temptations that he faces, um, three things that we still are tempted by today, and how we can continue to overcome those. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of the splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the first temptation that Jesus really faces here is the temptation to be relevant. So he says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus replies, Man shall not live on bread alone. So think through this. 40 days, right? Jesus has lived his life. He's come up to this moment sort of before his public ministry starts, and he's in this temptation for 40 days. Now, now thinking through this just from a human perspective, right? 40 days. Imagine not eating for 40 days and dealing with temptation of thinking through all the things you're going to eat when 40 days are done, right? Or, or think through all the things that the, Satan was offering him, right? To take away out. But 40 days, 40 days is a long time. Now, 40 days without sinning is another thing. For most of us, we probably can't go a few minutes without sinning. Even some of that sinning, even if we don't try, it's unconscious. It's in our minds that we do. So again, Jesus went 40 days without sinning. So the first temptation that he faced was the temptation to be relevant. So what are we talking about to be relevant here? So relevant is to do something that is needed and can be appreciated by people. So in that moment, the thing that Jesus needed was bread. She so could have said, cool, 
God, you know, bring it down. Satan, give me a nice bowl of whatever. I need this right now. So the thing that he needed in that moment. So relevant. Now, what are the things we kind of think of when we think through relevancy? We think to be liked, right? We all like to be liked, to be noticed, um, to be the life of the party. You know, people say, oh, that person's so liked. You know, we want to be respected. Uh, we want to earn people over. We want to win them. We want to say things that are good. They want to say things good about us. And so the temptation to be relevant is all around us. Now, in today's world, I want to say this. There is nothing wrong with trying to be relevant. But again, the relevancy here is who is the relevancy for? Is it for ourselves? Is it for God? So the temptation to be relevant is difficult to shake since it is usually not considered a temptation, but a call. So again, sometimes this isn't a temptation, but it's a call that we can fit into to be relevant, just to try to fit in with everything around us. We make ourselves believe that we are called to be productive, successful, and efficient people whose words and actions show that working for God's reign is at least as dignified as an occupation. So you can fill in the blank whatever occupation you think that's dignified as. But this is giving to the temptation to be relevant and respectable in the eyes of the world. So again, how are we dealing with relevancy so we can show the world that we are a person who's relevant? We have need versus what God is telling us to do. So bread is given to us by God so that we will entrust ourselves completely to God's word. Accomplishments, efficiency, and productivity are gifts that be given to those whose hearts are fixed on the Lord first. What this says is not that relevant behavior needs to be despised, but that it should not be the basis of our identity as Christians. So we shouldn't despise relevancy, but it shouldn't be the basis of what we do as believers. So here's a question. Are you hooked on others' appeals, on their approvals? Do you care so much about what other people think about you and their approval? You know, just kind of looking back at the life of Jesus and looking through everything he did, he was the opposite of relevant, right? He did not, he hung out with the wrong crowd. He did all the things that were bucking against the trends. You know, he was kind of, he was going in the temple, turning over, you know, tables. Um, the people of the day, the high leaders didn't like him. He was doing everything wrong. His own people really didn't choose to like him. They said, crucify him. He was everything and he wasn't relevant. So again, for us, like, how are we making ourselves relevant? So to be a Christian who is willing to travel with Christ on his downward road, downward mobility, requires being willing to detach oneself constantly from any need to be relevant and to trust ever more deeply in the word of God. Thus, we do not resist the temptation to be relevant by doing irrelevant things, but clinging to the word of God who is the source of relevancy, excuse me. So again, God's word, we go to God's word. It is relevant all through time. It can. It is still relevant, nothing's changed. God's word is God's word. It still has truth for us today. It is the relevant thing that goes through all of time that we have for us today. So are we hooked on other people's approval? Are we seeking that? Is that something that we desire? The next temptation that Jesus really goes through here is the temptation to be spectacular. So it says, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. But Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So when we say spectacular, what are we talking through? We're saying um, respond to the unusual, the out of the ordinary or the extraordinary. 
And we've been talking through Spectacular a little bit as Ryan's been preaching, you know, what does it mean uh, to kind of slow down this really slow concept of God? Because oftentimes we are looking for the spectacular. And what happens with the spectacular as a church or as believers is we're trying to one-up all the time the previous spectacular thing. So I did this crazy thing one day and this happened. So the next day I'm going to try to do something even crazier and crazier or more spectacular for God. And look, look, look. So there's a few examples of this and I think are modern day. And so there's a lot of books written about this, like how to be spectacular for the Lord, right? How to do these crazy things of love and generosity. You know, um, you can find these in Christian bookstores. You can find them online. And so some of these books are really challenging and encouraging for us. But again, what when is the spot that's good enough that we don't have to be spectacular, do all these insane things? Um, one-upping is another way, right? I'm going to one-up this. I remember when I was... Um, in college, I was on a mission trip in Kenya for the summer, and um, at the Swahili service, it was like three hours every week, and I kind of noticed this trend that happened is someone would pray uh, from the congregation. The next week, someone would pray, but that prayer was longer. It was in Swahili. I had no idea what they're saying, but again, that prayer was longer. The next week, the prayer was even longer, and then the following week, it was, so you see where this is going, is that it was this one-upping idea of trying to be longer or better than the person before them. So some other ways, um, bigger and better, I think, and sometimes in the church we've always found this, how can we have something bigger or better, a better building, more people, um, if we can have a Starbucks in our church, what's going to attract more people to come? Um, another thing of, of we see as being spectacular is world records. Um, Social media, I think social media is a huge spectacular thing because everything we, we post sometimes is spectacular. No one wants to see boring. It's like, here's my really boring meal that I ate. No one posts that. Maybe if you do, that's great. But most of the time we're posting things that are amazing. Look at this amazing meal I had. Look at this incredible view. We're taking snapshots of the spectacular, but not necessarily showing the ordinary in our everyday lives, but showing the extraordinary, the crazy things, because we want everyone to see the spectacular. The temptation to do something spectacular has not lessened since Jesus' day. We have come to believe that a service is valuable when many attend. A protest or demonstration is worthwhile when television cameras are present. A group is worth having when many want to be a part of it. And a church is successful when many desire to become members. The truth is our culture has become so largely determined by statistics that it is easy for us to truly believe the numbers of people who listen, watch, or attend is measure of quality which is presented. So again, we can have all these numbers, we can have all these people who are in a room, but is the quality there? Spectacular. Look at all these people that are here. Look at these things that are happening. It's so spectacular. But is the quality there? Or is it five people in a room and the quality is great, and those five people had an amazing experience, and that was it? Does it draw attention? So I, I want to stick with this question here. Who is getting the glory when something is spectacular? Because I think oftentimes we would say, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's God. God gets the glory in this spectacular thing. But I think oftentimes there is a very entangled view and understanding of the spectacular that is really focused on us and not on God. I think there's many examples that we can see, and I think this is a really hard balance 
um, for believers to really how to exist in doing things for God that isn't bringing attention to us. So I want to throw an example out here. And this will bear with me. But uh, recently this weekend, um, there was a worship service um, on the waterfront. And the person that was doing it, you know, came in, not going to get the politics about it. But all I'm saying is um, it was a pretty spectacular thing. It was caught on social media, on news. It was center of everyone's attention. Um, but just imagine if that worship was done in a field, in the country, and people just came to it. That's probably not really that spectacular, right? Yeah, cool. A bunch of Christians got together in a field. Um, to glorify God and pray. Cool. But instead, decided to go in the center of everything um, to really make a spectacle of gathering and throw a little Jesus in there. And I might be stretching a little bit on this, but but please bear with me in thinking through of there's been a lot of spectacular things been labeled with God. And sometimes I don't know if they're always on God or if they're on the person. So a lot of this is heart. Think through when you're doing something. Who was it for? If it isn't for God, stop, rest, repent, and think. Who is it for? Is it for your glory or God's glory? Because Jesus could have got out of it, right? Well, I'll just fix it, it's spectacular, but no, he didn't. He saved it. He did something different and lived in a different way with downward mobility. So the next temptation that Jesus faced was the temptation to be powerful. I think we all face these. We face all of these temptations, but I think this is a big one from us. So all this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So how? What, what is this? So powerful, controlling, including ourself, including others. Um, it could be forced power. It could be leadership, trying to gain the majority getting people on our side, trying to pull people so we have more power and position to do something greater than we've done before. This is counter to what Jesus did. So power can often be wrapped up in money, can be wrapped up in connections, right? It can be wrapped up in fame, can be done in being the majority or having a voice that is heard. These are all examples of power and how they can be wrapped up in today's world. Power can take many forms. Again, we have money, connections, fame, intellectual ability, skills. These are all ways to get a sense of security and control and strengthen the illusion that life is ours to dispose of. It is therefore quite understandable that on the personal as well as a national and international level, power is the name of the game. So power, we control other people. We lord it over other people if we have power. There's many cultures and systems that have existed because there's power over other people. So that's a sin. That's a temptation to live in power so we can have power over other people and control. So we can control and do those things. So you must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. These words remind us that only undivided attention to God can make a powerless ministry in life possible. As long as we divide our time and energy between God and others, we forget service outside of God becomes self-seeking. So again, pause on that. We forget service outside of God becomes self-seeking. Because we can do a lot of great things in this world, but it can become self-seeking. But is it for God? And self-seeking service leads to manipulation and manipulation to power games and power games to violence and violence to destruction. So simply, am I seeking power 
for the wrong reasons? Am I pursuing power for myself so I can be relevant, so I can be spectacular? Or am I pursuing power that follows and lives in downward mobility so God can be elevated? Friends, these are, these are tough things to wrestle through, right? But we have the example of Jesus who did this in his ministry. So what do we do? What do we do with these temptations? How, how, how do we move forward? There's a couple things. Um, so one, be in the word. You know, are, are we students? Do we read the word? Do we understand the word? Um, are we digesting the word? Do, do we seek the word? And not trying to find things that fit our narrative in the word that we can warp, but are we reading all of it? Do we know what the word says? Do we still believe that the word even matters? That it still exists? There's truth for us today that the word is relevant to where we're at. Also be in prayer. Pray. Stop. Pray. Have that conversation with God. Be with other people and pray. Lift up our current situation in prayer. Your family, your friends, be people of prayer. And last, be still. You know, what does it mean to be still in our lives to stop? And I was kind of thinking through this and, you know, an image I kind of came in my mind was this, this idea if you're standing on a really busy street and you're just standing in the middle and people are moving by you and they're going sideways and they're going about their day. No one seems to notice that you're in the middle, but you're stopped. And you stop in that moment in time to think and look all around and see everyone rushing and you're there and you're thinking and you're wondering, where are all these people going? What are all these people doing? And you're standing there and being still. And I think that's what we need is a chance to stop, to rest, to think, to question, and to move forward, to be still. Because there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of things coming around us every single day. Social media, news, information, whether it's false, whether it's true. How do we gauge all these things? But just to stop and be still. To listen. To question. Then to be in the word. Then to be in prayer. And to just simply pause and be still. So whatever that is for you, if that's on the beach, if that's on the mountain, if you got to go outside, if you have to turn off your devices and your medias for a certain amount of time, whatever it is, be still. So our vocation as Christians, right, is to follow Jesus on his downward path and become a witness to God's compassion. So we got to be on that journey on the downward path to buck the trend of everything around us that says, have power have relevancy, and be spectacular. Our temptation is to let needs for success, visibility, and influence dominate our thoughts, word, and actions to such an extent that we um, are gripped in the destructive spiral of upward mobility and thus lose our vocation. So we can look at vocation as our Christian walk, right? And then last, discipleship cannot be realized without discipline. Discipline in the spiritual life, however, has nothing to do with the discipline of athletics, academic study, or job training, in which physical fitness is achieved, new knowledge is required, or a new skill mastered. The discipline of the Christian disciple is not to master anything, but rather be mastered by the Spirit. True Christian discipline is a human effort to create the space in which the Spirit of Christ can transform us. Friends, that's a beautiful statement. I know I wrestle with that myself of being, of doing something but rather be mastered by the Spirit. Not master anything, 
to not be the best, to not be the most spectacular, right? To not be the most relevant or the most powerful, to not be mastered by anything except by the Spirit. So we'd be still, we'd be in prayer, we'd be in word, to not be mastered by anything. So which do you feel like you most fall victim to? Which do you feel that you know you kind of sink into and find yourself in the most amount of time? Friends, I think we're in a very unique time as the church because these things are continuing to potentially define us as the church of power, of relevancy, of being spectacular. What if we strip all that away and just stop? What if, what if the pause of COVID, of church, is the best thing that has ever happened to the existence of the church. That we've done that. We've had to pause. We've had to stop. We've had to look at all the programs and the things that we've been doing and ask questions. We've had to do things differently than we've ever done. We've had to think differently. Is it, is it, ask again, is this a gift? Maybe we have a chance to redefine what we're doing. We have a chance to be something different. But let's serve as an example in how we move forward. Let's not fall victim to trying to be the most powerful, to be the most spectacular Christians, to be the most relevant churches, but be these small existing communities that have quality, that exist to glorify God and Him only alone, and not ourselves, not what we're doing, and defining and making our own kingdom, but making the kingdom of God the thing that exists. That our values as believers move forward and people see that. They say, man, those Christians, they're doing it. Man, they're doing some crazy countercultural things. They're living like Jesus. They're doing what He did. Because that's what we want to be. We want to be that church that lives that way. Jesus was our example of downward mobility, and we're going to continue to move in that way. So I pray for all of us that we're continuing to not have power, to not be spectacular, to not be relevant, but have that downward mobility to pursue Jesus, empty ourselves, and let that spirit enter in so that we can be people who live fully for him in all that we do. So let us be people who do that who drop all of that, and to love Jesus and serve him with all that we have each and every day in this world for the existence that we continue to exist on this planet. So let's pray. God, we're just grateful for you, grateful for your truth. We pray, Father, that we would exist in a way um, that brings you glory that isn't for our glory, but continues to let you be the center of everything that we do and exist for, Jesus. It's all for you. It's not for us. And God, let you be the one who is famous and not us. And so God, help us pursue the downward mobility of uh, today and not continue to live in an upward mobility uh, that glorifies ourselves. And so God, um, if there's any spots in us that need to be um, changed, just Father, we ask that you would um, gently and lovingly um, show us those areas that we can be um, a better witness to those around us. And so um, God, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in your name. Hope Assembly, we love you. Uh, thank you much for so much for tuning in this morning. Uh, make sure to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can get caught up with any messages you might have missed in the past. And again, we love you and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. 
If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.